Hello, and welcome back to Out of Curiosity, where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I am Garland, joined by Cameron Hager, all the way from Portland, Oregon. Um, this is going to be uh, kind of, this will put a wrap, we might say, on this particular season, this particular iteration of Out of Curiosity. Um, if you've got questions, thoughts, issues, things you want us to discuss, send those in. You can go to OO Curiosity on Instagram. Um, let us know um, topics you want discussed sort of on the next season as we uh, somewhat do these in sort of installments or seasons. And so we'll take a few months break here and uh, we might release some classic episodes and things like that along the way. But if you've got things, big questions, uh, modern questions, then send them in and uh, we'll try on, as we put together our list for the next iteration of Out of Curiosity, we'll put those in there and keep that in mind. It's been fun. Cameron, this last, uh, these last uh, 25 or so episodes I've enjoyed. Yeah. Um, this been a year almost? You and I think it's been nearly a year of us Just recording about. these. Uh, and what most people don't know is, you know, you moved away, uh, what, 10 years ago? Was that 10 years ago? Yeah, now? it's been 10 and a half. Yeah. yeah, so so we were in college together here and did ministry together. So you moving away, uh, you know, it's always bittersweet because, um, you know, you're a pastor there and getting to do um, some really cool stuff up in Portland, but we don't get to see you uh, as much. And uh, so this has been actually really great just for my own uh, my own soul, our friendship, just getting to know. And we're gonna we're gonna sit down and and record a couple episodes every few weeks. And so, um, yeah, we'll uh, we will continue. I believe without a curiosity, send those questions in um, as you have them. And here's what we're gonna do today: a little bit different uh, vibe. It's not gonna be just a, a straight up modern question that we're gonna. This is answer. a question that no one was asking. Correct. No one wanted to know this, but we're doing no it anyway. It's, I guess it is. It's definitely a modern question, but it's not necessarily a biblical question. It's going to be a little bit more uh, personal in nature um, as we as we conclude this season. And here's here's the the question: What are the things that are we might say uniquely exciting? As you look out at the landscape of uh, what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in Portland, in a progressive coastal city, and what are some of those challenges? And the same question for me, you know, here I sit in a deeply red Southern state. Um, and so what are some of the things that, that are both maybe things that are challenges or things that we may be concerned with or things that we deeply pray about out, out, of, um, out of a worry or a nervousness of uh, what might happen or might not happen or how the church may respond or might not respond? And then what are the things that we are really excited about? And so do we want to do the negatives first hmm. or the positives First, what if, what if we, we ask one more question first, Okay, which is this, maybe I'll ask it to you first. Give me, I don't know how you, I don't know how to phrase it. Give me how, your description of kind of the spiritual landscape of, of where you live, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Just give me in the, in yeah. the broad strokes, like your sense. And that's just I, obviously just one man's opinion, but your take on what is Fayetteville like spiritually in the year of our Lord, 2024? I think, you know, it's an interesting question. It's, it's, we're doing this on purpose as we sit and we're recording this. The New Hampshire primaries were just a couple of nights ago. Yeah. And so it's in a, we're kind of go, gearing up for an election year. And I thought this would be a timely episode for that. You know, Fayetteville's a different kind of city in that it stays young. So the city I live in is a college town. And then a lot of those college students end up, yeah, you know, written homes and, and living here. A lot of them go to uh, the various churches in Fayetteville. So that does, that kind of keeps a, an idealism, we might say, to this city. Um, I think it it creates a lot of 
urgency among some of the, the community of Jesus followers here. Um, and so there's a vibrancy, I think, to the spiritual climate in Fayetteville. Kind of in, in, to be in Northwest Arkansas is a unique place as well um, with the big companies that are here, Walmart, Tyson, and J.B. Hunt, just sort of all that goes around that plus the university. Um, there's just a lot of growth and movement and new people and that does come with opportunity, I think. So people are moving Northwest Arkansas from all over the world. Um, and I, I think that I think that keeps, at least in this particular slice of the South, it does kind of keep it looking outward. Um, and so it, it keeps it having, we might say, ongoing conversations outside of just the kind of insular South. And so uh, yeah. if I were going to go to other parts of, of the state, maybe where like some of my family's from, um, it, it, it would feel very different. Um, and it doesn't mean to say that the city I live in in Fayetteville or Northwest Arkansas is it's still very deeply red, deeply conservative um, in uh, especially how it turns out and what it, a lot of its political views and values. But, you know, wh where I, from where I sit in my seat, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real vibrancy here spiritually right now. Um, I think that comes with some unique challenges generationally. Um, and we'll talk about some of those, I guess, in a minute. Um, but the opportunity seems readily apparent. There's several mega churches in this city and uh, many of them are really full with people and a lot of young people. And so if you just were to kind of drive around different churches, let's say on a Sunday, you might think, man, this is what, where, especially if you lived in the, I would guess on the coasts uh, or in a, a nation where there's not a lot of Christians, you'd be, sh you'd probably be shocked with how many people uh, are rolling in. Um, so that's, that's sort of the climate here. What about you? Uh, that's a good answer. And it's fun to hear because, you know, I did live in Fayetteville and for a number of years, Northwest Arkansas generally for longer than that, for most of my life. And uh, I co-signed that. I co-signed that at least 10 years removed. Um, Portland, what would I say about Portland? And the things that most come to mind are, I would say, first of all, kind of d directly to address the spiritual. I think, I think when people think Portland, they, I think the reputation exists, that it's pretty hyper-progressive. I think most people know that it's very, very underchurched. The gospel is pretty radically underrepresented in our city. Um, but maybe what's surprising in relationship to that is... Um, it's not often that there's a lot of outright hostility towards towards Christians or the church. I, what what I've found is the way that it all kind of mostly manifests is in a very very sort of you do you, um, man. Just everybody kind of. I mean, the average person just kind of. I don't know if you ever. I think we've talked about this book on here, but it was like paradigm shifting for me. Brought language to things for the first time. It's called Strange Rights by Tara Isabella Burton where she basically mm -hmm. is talking about this modern phenomenon, especially in kind of uh, urban centers. And I'm sure it's trickling down to where you are as well for people to kind of create and craft, like she calls them bespoke custom tailored religions. I like a little bit of Christianity, say some things that Jesus taught. Uh, I like a little bit of sort of like yoga and wellness culture. I like a little bit of uh, Buddhism and, you know, whatever it is. And they kind of mix them all together and say, this is this is my spirituality. It's this is my me. religion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the result is a lot of people with just these kind of micro-religious views. Um, and I think the result is people can look at a Christian and go, okay, like that's your thing. Like, good for you. The tension comes whenever you start having the conversations about like Christianity makes 
exclusive claims uh, about its truthfulness right, and right. its necessity for for the salvation of people. And those conversations can get more tense once you get into that. But just the existence of, you know, lots and lots of different religious perspectives, spiritual perspectives, philosophical perspectives is is tolerated. And it's kind of like, oh, cool. Tell me a little bit about that. It's kind of interesting in that regard. But I think one of the, obviously, there's a darkness to that. Maybe one of the more surprising pieces of that darkness is you can't really build community out of a custom tailored religion. You've got a religion right. of, of one follower and it, it, it's both cause and symptom of a, a kind of a loneliness and an isolation. Um, so I, th- I think there's, uh, just a fragmentation of people over like the deepest things that really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, not mm-hmm. a lot of like coalition building and community around those things. Um, and maybe one other thing I would say is you know, Portland, I know reputationally, Portland has taken a beating in the land. I think I mentioned this in our first episode, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm sure people, if they follow the news, they've seen it. Uh, really, 20, 2020 to, through 2023 was a city, was, was a time when the city just experienced the fallout of so many of its policies, so many of its ideas, um, a lot of also just outside things that you couldn't have necessarily predicted. But I think, whereas, when we moved to the city, Portland had this reputation of kind of being a young person's playground and, you know, certainly like a cool, beautiful, desirable, yeah. beautiful, all Artsy. those things were foregrounded. We're now in a place where the people, like lots of people have left the city over the last four years. And um, because they, the, a lot, that image is gone. If you were here because you wanted a cool place, I mean, there's still plenty, plenty to enjoy. I'll talk about that as well. Um, a lot of good things, but if you wanted the, like reputational clout for living in Portland, that has gone. Like people, you know, people view it as like a hellhole or something largely. Um, <laughs> and I think the impact that has spiritually for Christians and non-Christians is very interesting. And maybe we'll get into it, but I, I think there's some deep opportunity there um, for for the gospel to sort of uh, capitalize on. Yeah, when people are ho- hurt and wounded and feeling unsure and isolated um the, the gospel can be such such a drink of fresh cool water in a in a situation mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that we're seeing that too yeah so uh, what the goal for this episode and really why we wanted to have this conversation we 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 framed this um this season of out of curiosity if you're if you've been listening and this is your first season this is a little bit different we framed this season as how does that land in a progressive city how would that come across maybe in a conservative city in the South? And so we've tried to have this back and forth as we've gone throughout this particular uh, season of Out of Curiosity. We just wanted to end real pragmatically by just addressing it, just talking about it. I think it's helpful for people who don't often uh, converse maybe with somebody that lives on the coast to hear their perspective, to hear what it's like to be a pastor there, and vice versa. I think oftentimes uh, we, we straw men and caricature each other, um, and that doesn't do anyone any good. So I just thought it would be really interesting for you know people living down here to kind of hear your perspective as a pastor of a, a, a church in Portland and vice versa. So um, I, I would, I, I tee up, let's do, the, let's do maybe the challenges first so we can sure. end this season on a hopeful note. Um, <laughs> what... Uh, can you can you walk out? This will be my kind of my biggest, maybe the biggest challenge I see down here in the conservative South. Tee up again. I know we talked about this a few episodes ago. Describe the difference between maybe what we used to call a fundamentalist 
and then what we used to call maybe uh, a liberal or progressive, at least when it came to like spiritual, kind of the spiritual things culturally. Yeah. Well, I guess what I would say, I don't know if this is exactly what you're looking for, but I would say a fundamentalist in terms of religious Christian perspective is someone who has a very, very, I might say hermetically sealed relationship between their faith and the culture at large. They, they obviously value the Bible, which is good, uh, but there's often kind of a hyper myopic. You're not getting a lot of outside opinion. You're not consulting a lot of uh, scholarship. Uh, there might be a naivety to it. Uh, like, no, don't hear new ideas. Don't hear new perspectives. And the result is it can be, it often turns into a so sort of hyper harsh, hyper controlling, hyper legalistic. Uh, that's probably what a lot of people think when they think fundamentalist, those kinds mm -hmm. of expressions that tend to come out of just that posture of how you're holding your relationship with, uh, with God and the Bible. The other end of the you know spectrum is what you might call the liberal or maybe now progressive end, which is um, it tends to want to to see the Bible as you know flawed, imperfect. Oh, this is just the product of you know old ancient people who didn't really know what we know now. There's a skepticism at the heart of it towards the authority of the Bible. Um, any often any time when it it the Bible seems to depart from kind of the secular orthodoxies, the progressive orthodoxies of like this is what we all believe now. They go, yeah, well, I don't believe that either, and I'm going to mm -hmm. manufacture a way to make sure I can read the Bible in a way that's comfortable with my culture. So it's kind of taking the Bible and dragging it into the modern world in a way that it loses its its independence, it loses its ancientness. I'd say it loses its timelessness and its authority. Um, mm -hmm. Is that yeah, no, that, kind I of think what you're... You, the reason for? I wanted you... To, yeah, I, you, you said that a few episodes back, and I thought that was just a helpful way. In, in the way that you describe that, it doesn't come across as harsh either way. It's just kind of descriptive. And typically, we might say that on the fundamentalist side, there tends to be, maybe if you were to put emotion to it, if, if they're looking outward at, say, the rest of culture, uh, you know, government, all those kinds of things, there tended to be a fear, um, you know, an anxiety, stay away. Um, and then on, obviously, if we're talking about the other side, there was a bit of a, let's engage. We have a lot to learn from. There's a lot of beauty in the culture. And then the the... The, the idea, and I, I promise I have a point here, the idea of what an evangelical used to be, I think in the 90s, 80s, when this term was getting kind of created, was the evangelical was somebody who had, we might say, the commitments of faith and orthodoxy and a loyalty to Jesus as, you know, who the Bible says he is and those kinds of things, but was trying to do so with a view towards engaging the culture. That's where the term evangelical gets his name. They're evangelistic. They want to do, they want to bless the city. They want to engage. And that also included, they wanted to engage, you know, politically, they wanted to lean in. And I think that began in a really healthy place. Uh, I think that's where a lot of people would say, yeah, that's what an evangelical was. I think that you pointed out, and this is a, this leads to my biggest maybe concern or one of the, my bigger concerns, at least in the South is that that no longer is really what I think an evangelical um, oftentimes connotes. I think right. oftentimes now that if you think about how our culture, um, it, how our culture views Christians, and oftentimes I think what Christians have kind of the badge that they're putting on and wearing themselves even is that that has gotten blurred and it's moved from we want to engage with the the core message of the gospel to try to bring God's beauty into the culture 
Um, there's, there was a look toward the culture with, with grace, with favor, with this desire to, we might say, to win it for Jesus. I think that's become back to that fear-based. I think it's moved toward that more fundamental in the, in the sense that you're describing of the yeah. word. Um, and looking at culture more with fear, looking at uh, culture more with anxiety or um, they're out to get you know, Christians. And I think what that's created is that, that pull of what was it evangelical to want to engage, that's still there, but it's coming from a place of fear, anxiety. And now what's been increasingly since, especially 2016, with this political edge. And so the biggest, I think the biggest fear that I, that I kind of see looking out at a very red state in the South is um, it, the tendency, it seems, to elevate um, what are at best maybe we might say peripheral uh, biblical issues or at worst not even biblical ideas but are we might say more characteristic of conservatism that those have almost crept in and become equal to the centrality of the gospel and who Jesus is and the message of salvation in Jesus and the hope that he brings and that that's pretty easy to to I think to caricature it's it's not just a caricature though uh the people that probably uh, the, the the people that you would talk to on the coast, what they assume about Southern Christians, unfortunately, you can find those all over the place. And so it's not mm. as if they're they're hunting for that kind of very political. This is about uh, this is about the political engagement. And what we've seen even in the last probably seven or eight years is that term evangelical has moved towards what you're terming more fundamental, yet it still wants to engage, but doing so from a posture mm. of fear and anxiety and and sometimes anger and hostility. Um, and I've got a friend that just reminds, you know, when we're talking about this, he just says, that fear, anger, hostility, that doesn't smell like Jesus. Mm. Like that's just, that's not how Paul seemed to model his, you know, his outreach or posture toward the culture, it's definitely not what we see in Jesus. Um, yeah. And I have, a, my heart goes out to people that that are experiencing that fear and anxiety. I understand why they do. Um, but I, I, it, it has, sometimes it loses the sense of hope and joy that there actually is in Christ. And that's, as we look at an election year and all the craziness, I'm sure that will happen in this next few months. Um, that's one of the things that concerns me is, yeah. uh, is, is missing that centrality of Jesus uh, in in what we're doing. That makes me think, I don't know if the the passage is directly applicable to what we're talking about, but uh, I'm just going to yank it out of context and use it. (laughs) The idea that perfect love casts out all fear. And perhaps the problem with fundamentalism, as we've described, and maybe versions of evangelicalism that are shifting down into fundamentalism are... uh, love has lost its central seat at the table. You know, it's, it's no longer the central command that we understand from Jesus to first love God and then love neighbor. Because if you love God and you love neighbor, uh, that changes the way you engage and you want to engage. You want to see people come to know the joy and the beauty and the truth of Jesus and the gospel. You want to see them taste salvation. You want them to join the family of God that he's putting together mm-hmm. And that's different than sort of fence building and, and walls and all that kind of thing. Um, so that just made me think of that. Yeah, I, I think comp- a companion to that, then I'll, I, would, I do want to hear yours, uh, your, your answer to this question. A companion to that would be um, if, if I were just to myself, I'll look in the mirror first, but just go to maybe uh, just a, a run-of-the-mill person in churches in the South and just ask, what is the loudest voice 
And if people were honest, um, I think sometimes this is true progressives and, and conservatives, but I, I'm, I'm concerned. I think that the voice of the scriptures, the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy spirit may not always be the loudest. And given the, the, the culture and the quickness of media and the ability to consume and have products that are designed to make us consume, um, you know, I, I, I do wonder sometimes what is my loudest voice that I listen to, and if it's not Jesus, his spirit, and the scriptures, then uh, I might have to do some correction. And I think there's some, even the spiritual discipline of saying, no, I, I'm going to limit my intake of said media source or said YouTube channel or said conversation partner, because um, it just creates more of that fear and anxiety. Uh, that would be an especial, especially strong concern for the younger generation, I think the younger millennial Gen Z down generation, because we kind of threw out spiritual disciplines largely as rote mm. and legalistic and haven't really replaced them. Uh, right. And so then, then the loudest voice is whatever you're consuming outside of the Bible. Uh, so, uh, yeah, those are some of the things I, I kind of worry about, not just for like my church and people here, but myself. Um, I look myself in the, at, at myself in the mirror on this. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this will be revolutionary, and I think it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of the uh, it's it's very similar to what you're saying, but a fun a fundamental observation I've made uh, now, you know, functionally living two places as a young adult, and now I think as a adult adult, um, I can see it with my own eyes now. I think we all know the case that like you are deeply influenced by the place that you live. Um, you can't help it. Your culture is what you're swimming in. It's your water. It's, it's your air. It's, uh, you're taking it in and out. And we all, of course, if we're Christians, we want to be, you know, prophetically critiquing that culture. We want to celebrate the good parts, reject the bad, remain faithful to Jesus through it all. That goes without saying. But I think now, like, it was shocking to me the first couple years we were in Portland, like how many assumptions I had had about Christianity, maybe about politics, maybe about the intersection of Christianity and politics, and like you name the issue, things that I had carried with me just because they were in the cultural air in Northwest Arkansas, and some of them were really good things, but some of them weren't. Uh, regardless, they were assumptions, and I had to go, like, there was this process, like, oh my gosh, I'm in new air now, I'm in new water, and I have to, I can't assume that people think the same way, and I shouldn't assume that I've got it right. And so revisiting the scriptures, coming out with some things tweaked, some things reinforced. But uh, all that to say, um, culture and, you know, the micro communities we find ourselves in, the schools and our kids' schools and our places of work and just city culture and the whatever, whatever subgroups we find ourselves in, they exert a real shaping force on us. Um, and so being now 10 years, like most of my genuine adult life in Portland, I can just see the ways in which, um, the values of the city have pulled me. And, and, and the job is of course, to sort out like are some of those are probably going to be in, in good and healthy ways, more compassionate ways, but some of them are going to be away from, uh, Jesus's vision of human flourishing. And, um, yeah, I think I think maybe this is just so obvious. You're saying 
uh, <laughs> in the South, there's a real threat to Christians being pulled into kind of a, a political conservatism that corrodes their Christianity. Obviously, in Portland, it is the case that there is a real risk of Christians being pulled, pulled into a political progressivism that mm-hmm. uh, corrodes their Christianity, that mm-hmm. are in, in our in our foregrounding of things that I need to be foregrounded, like love and compassion and grace and long suffering and mercy and all of these things, it can be so easy to think, well, we're saying these words and so are, you know, the kind of the, the progressive voices in the city. Therefore we must be talking about the same thing. Therefore mm-hmm. we must do it the way that they do it. And um, yeah, it's being a pastor here. It, it's, it's a constant thing where people will end up walking away from the historic Christian faith uh, for often first a, a kind of liberalized version of it, a progressivized version of it. And then that, yeah, that tend, what, what I see, and this isn't universal, but it tends to be a stopgap on the way from mm-hmm. just, just ultimately uh, leaving the faith altogether, leaving association with Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Maybe the same answer that you gave, but but um, with this flavor, because this is yeah. I did, and, and I have a follow up for you about about Portland, uh, but before before even asking it, like what you just articulated, you know, going back to the scriptures and asking afresh, and some things reinforced, some things need to be re, you know, reinvented or uh, adjusted. That's actually the purpose of this podcast is to right. take an issue. Um, a modern issue and then go, what does the Bible actually say? And try to give lanes, not answers, but lanes of how to develop a way of thinking about that, no matter where you find yourself, if that's uh, overseas, coast, the south, um, but letting the scriptures inform that, that, that deep wrestling that we all have to do with these issues. Let me ask you this question. You know, I, I would say that very much, you know, there's the, the rise of the nuns, people with no affiliation yeah. to religion in America. There's the post-Christian uh, America that people talk about all the time. Um, and I would say by and large, I understand that when I read their article or their book, I, I wholeheartedly would affirm that. And yet that is definitely not the case where I live. It is definitely not, I would say a post-Christianized, uh, culture. There are still lots of social capital or, uh, social honor in going to church. There's no shame associated with it. Um, many people, if not most people were, or raised in some kind of church environment, know the stories, know, uh, in fact, the, maybe the hardest thing for evangelism uh, or sharing the gospel down here oftentimes is, uh, we might say, an inoculated culture to yeah. the, the the story of the Bible. Like, yeah, okay, it's it's almost reawakening them that this is a really compelling, not just story about what Jesus is doing in the world, but compelling vision for, as you always say, human flourishing and what it looks like to build like true cities that... Uh, have beauty and value. Uh, so I think it's, 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 it's not as if there's this um, hopeless mass of people desperately clamoring over their secularism, trying to find <laughs> hope and joy. You know, it's, a, it's oftentimes a, I've done the Christian thing, I'm over it, I'm actually trying to deconstruct it, I'm running from it. And evangelism here oftentimes, at least in my experience, looks like, let's, can I just re-show you <laughs> what that's about, or no, you actually have that kind of wrong from whatever church or maybe even from our church. So I would say it's not a post-Christian environment here at all. It's a Christianized uh, culture, and that makes for some very unique challenges in trying to get people to step into following Jesus because, of course, everyone 
goes to church. And everyone would, it yeah. still seems the case. Many people would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, of course. What about in Portland? Is that, does that characteristic ring true, post-Christian? I think, or would you say, was it never Christianized? Yeah, that that's interesting. They, I've heard some, I haven't looked deeply in, into any sort of sociological research on this, but I have heard it anecdotally said amongst Christian leaders in Portland that in some ways it's almost more accurate to call it a pre-Christian place. Um, not that there haven't been Christians here for a long time, but that in terms of the critical mass that really becomes like a culture-shaping place, we it's never really had it uh, out here. Um, and so functionally, I'm not sure how much difference that makes, but it's kind of an interesting little nugget. Um, I think one similarity is I, I think there are a number of people, I don't think you can grow up in America without at least a, a, a passing familiarity with Christianity, the Christianity that you see on the news. And um, so I think rather than like everyone identifying as Christian, that's not the case. Uh, yeah, yeah, we we get this. And not people not realizing there's deeper places to go and a reality right, to right. it that they can live into. I think here it's more like, yeah, reputationally, I've heard kind of all I need to hear about Christianity. I've seen enough on the news. Um, I know what you guys are like. So yeah, I'm just not really interested in that. So it's kind of it's kind of debunking assumptions that have come and been formed that way. I just one anecdote that just it's wild to me. I can't remember if I've told you this or not. Um, uh, the day after the 2016 election when Donald Trump was elected president, um, and we're not going to get into politics per se here, right? But uh, we were working here at this building, our church, uh, when our the, our sending church used to meet in this building. We are now a new church plant here. But regardless, our whole staff was here. A guy knocked on the door violently, the front church door. And there was, I was, it was kind of, I was sitting closest to the door. So I was like, oh, I'll go, I'll go check the door. And this guy walks into our little mini foyer in our building and he gets inches from my face and he points his finger right <laughs> in my face like this. <laughs> and... He's shaking. He is, he is physically, he's like convulsing and he's got tears running down his eyes and he used more colorful language than I'm going to use here. But he said, you, <laughs> he said, you people did this. You people did this. This is your fault. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And just this litany of, of accusation. Um, he was making a lot of assumptions about our church. I think, I think right. uh, our, our, our church, I think, um, the average person here, I think, does a pretty good job of uh, of, of seeing <laughs> seeing uh, some of the problems uh, in in supporting both candidates uh, from a Christian perspective. We 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 were not uh, <laughs> there was not a critical mass of people at our church, I'm right. sure, that had voted for Trump. But it doesn't matter that the assumption was this is a church building right here. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to make sure that they know that I know that they're the reason why this thing that I, I don't like has happened. Um, so, right. so yeah, things like that have, have happened uh, to me and to others. And um, it's, it's, it's also an opportunity because a, a superficial understanding of Jesus, a, a, a curdled one, leaves a lot of potential for surprise when you present the real Jesus, when you present uh Jesus as he is on the pages of the New Testament. Um, when you present the story of the Bible as it actually is across the whole canon, rather than sort of the truncated, weird, um, you know, kind of corrosions of it that people get, there, there's an opportunity to surprise people, to catch them off guard. And, uh, and that's pretty cool. 
So I, I, I don't yeah. know if I've gone too far down a rabbit hole if I even answered your question. No, but that's something. No, and I think, and I think that uh, now the second part of this was the hopeful part, which is, you know, what do you look forward to? What are you optimistic about? Is, is that, would you say that's probably most the thing you're looking forward to is just the sheer ability to like, people don't necessarily have the right estimation of Jesus and they they didn't hear it their whole lives, everybody uh, there. And so there is this ability to winsomely show them Jesus um, in, in, for maybe the very first time. Is that, is that, how would you answer that? What's the, what are you most optimistic about? That's certainly one piece. There's a few things that come to mind. Another is I think in a city that, where people can kind of feel like the reputation's been lost. There's a little bit of dejection. There's, there's more suffering, frank, frankly, than there was five years ago. Um, I think something that's been really compelling for me is the idea of reclaiming the idea that like the, the people that live here are not just like nameless political pawns that are fun to sort of like <laughs> make fun of because, oh, yeah, they live, they live there. It sucks to be them. But they're image bearers of God. Um, every neighbor is like, beautiful and like has a story and a story that God cares about a story in in some sense that God has helped author and he loves them and he wants to bridge the gap between himself and them. And he's, he's given us like this ministry of reconciliation. And I think it comes and fits and starts for me, but reclaiming the idea like, Oh yeah, it is a privilege to get to bring this incredible, beautiful, good news to these beautiful people that God really loves um, and not holding my nose while I'm doing it, but being like, man, I really think like Jesus wants to save them and what joy it would be if he would use me in that process is just, mm. there, there's an opportunity there um, to breathe life into people that are discouraged. Um, I think another thing I would say is um, maybe two more things. One thing that's really fascinating, and I don't know if I'd quite equate it with like what we're hearing is going on in a lot of like Muslim countries right now where people are seeing Jesus and dreams and visions and kind of Jesus is just kind of like going and getting people and saving them and mm-hmm. bringing them mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And there's yeah. no like earthly explanation for it. Um, we are seeing stuff like that in Portland, even at our own church. I could think of three people in our last, uh, the last six months that have like stumbled into the doors of our church randomly. There's like, how'd you hear about a church? I don't know. I just live in the neighborhood and saw that it was a Christian church. I got, I think I came to faith in Jesus like a month ago and I'm pretty sure that I have to, uh, I'm supposed to get into a church. Just right. the and Lord, like, like bringing yeah. people that it's just this exciting privilege to go like, oh my gosh, he has gifted us with the privilege of getting to like walk alongside these people in this faith that we had nothing, like not that we ever do, but it's obvious like, it wasn't my preaching that saved this person. It wasn't my compassion and my wisdom. It was like God reached his hand down from his throne room and like snatched them. And it's mm-hmm. so cool and exciting to see. Um, and so I just, I, it's a reminder and encouragement to me like, yep, Jesus still is in the business of saving people um, mm-hmm. everywhere. And um, I've been praying a lot more boldly for opportunity to be a part of that with him. Um, for, for his grace to just give me that gift. And it's, uh, it's really exciting. Maybe the last thing I would say is more for the church internally, which is I, I, one thing I have noticed, I mean, I've already mentioned the threats and the, the draws away from Christianity that exist here, but I've also noticed there's a real power um, to being an obvious minority culture as a Christian in the way that that refines you 
the way that that builds resilience, the way that that forms you after Jesus. I mean, the average Christian here has had to count the cost and go, I know this will count me, cost me some of my reputation. I know that this is going to cost me comfort at least in some important ways. And I'm choosing to follow Jesus. And I'm, and I'm like self-consciously aware that like the things that I'm learning from him through the scriptures are at odds with much of what I'm learning elsewhere. And when you just have the clear eyes to walk into it that way, it, it's powerful. It's really, really mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's I, I just am anecdotally seeing the way that lots of churches around this city are presenting this really grace and truth filled orthodox vision of the church and Christianity and Jesus and some amazing ministries are being birthed here that are like really inspiring to people elsewhere. Um, I think of like our friends at Bible Project, for example, like like that is a ministry that our church is, was in close association with when it got started, like that was forged in this kind of environment and learning how to speak here, I think is a blessing to people all over whenever you kind of get shaped and how to, how to walk, walk these lines and have these conversations and, and hold on to your commitment to the, the once for all Jesus in the midst of it. It's just, it's really cool. It's really cool to see the way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he produces things in us through this kind of adversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I echo that last one. I think for me, um, you know, I welcome, and, and uh, nobody welcomes like physical persecution. Uh, like I don't think anybody says, please, let's bring that on. But I do welcome the environment you are, talk, you're, you are talking about. I welcome it more and more down here. Um, and I think it will actually be one of the great opportunities for uh, you know, southern states, uh, conservative parts of this country, as the culture seemingly continues to move away from, um, we might say, some of these Christian, particularly ethical and moral uh, convictions about things, um, I, th- I think it gives Christians in the South a chance to, instead of respond with fear and anxiety, a chance to respond with hope and faithfulness to Jesus in a way that, you know, frankly, we're probably a little bit behind in. And like Christians in Portland, Christians in Europe have probably had to understand. Um, I think it will separate some, (laughs) to use Jesus's terms, probably some wheat from some chaff a little bit. Uh, And that's, that's going to be hard. Um, But I, I, in echoing what you're saying, I do, I do see it as a great opportunity for people to say, no, this is what it really looks like to follow Jesus. Um, And we have to forge that now. Uh, And so it's increasingly happening down here. It's just way slower. So any, any uh, Jesus follower in Portland, you know, we ask for your, and I would ask for your, you know, kind of almost understanding and grace to go, wait, y'all are still it's still like that down there. Like if you've never been down here, it really is still like that. Uh, and so of course our Southern listeners to hear what you're saying and go, wow, that I didn't realize that it would be a challenge to be a Jesus follower there with what the culture's saying. Cause it's so different, you know? Uh, I think the, the one, obviously an easy one for me is just because it's still, there still are, uh, it's, a, it's an environment where there are Christians, a lot of Christians around, and there's Christians with resources around, and there's uh, healthy churches around. There is there is great opportunity for uh, you know as the Bible Belt kind of shrinks, and as that even term goes away in the next twenty years, I would guess in those next twenty years there is great opportunity to see tons and tons of ministry minded, faithful, Jesus loving, and following people going out not only to our communities here but all over the world. I mean, our church alone 
uh, uh, will send out 11 different people to some of the hardest places in the world That's so awesome. that, where there is no gospel this year alone, just like this one calendar year. Awesome. Um, and, you know, that's unique. Like we have not only the, the amount of people to do that, we have the people that um, go to our church and have the resources to support them to do that. So, um, you know, there's still some really cool opportunities Um and so, yeah, I, I would echo, your, you know, your last one you just said was kind of my, my biggest thing I'm optimistic about is um, as, as the culture squeezes, I am still hopeful of what will come out of us. Um, I think I, I would pray that increasingly that fear and anxiety would, would, would move to the side and it would be, okay, we need to stare this new day down. I am not of the belief that the genie's going back in the bottle and we're going to somehow revert to some sort of a Christianized nation. Um, I actually don't, that doesn't tend to go well yeah, um, when Christianity gets its dom- becomes the dominant cultural power. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's going to forge a, a, a different kind of South moving forward. Um, one, one that's marked by compassion. Uh, what's interesting is, people that come down here that I meet from, you know, especially the coast, California, New York, they still remark, people are so nice down here. And I, I would love for that to continue even in our political discourse and our online yeah. conversations. And most people that I talk to down here, you know, when they, when they sit across from a person, that love that they have that oftentimes is coming from their, like their following Jesus years, that oftentimes comes out. It may not come out well, uh, online, you know, it may not come out well with a straw man, <laughs> but, uh, oftentimes I do think that I'm seeing people all over our city, all over our church that have a deep concern for the poor and are doing something about it, uh, that have a concern for, uh, those that are, that are immigrating here and are doing something about it, uh, that have a concern for, uh, you know, moms of babies and, and, and scary pregnancy crisis moments and are doing something about it. Um, yeah. and so, you know, I, I, that gives me a lot of hope, um, that some of the caricatures that we see, um, may, may one day we look back and go, remember those caricatures? Uh, and I, that's what, uh, that's what I'm optimistic about, I guess, moving forward. Uh, and so I guess we echo that with each other. Um, I think both of us would affirm, and maybe this is a good way to close this episode and this this season at least. Um, I say all the time that we have the better story. Yeah. And just for a moment of uh, 30 seconds of preaching, the story that the Bible is telling, finding its culmination in Jesus, the historical person and what he did, um, it, it, is an, it is an incredibly beautiful story that has incredible implication for not just the ancient world, but the modern world, including how any of us stares down how we see ourselves, how we see our city, how we see our neighbor, where this whole thing's headed. Um, and I would encourage anyone that's skeptical listening to this, maybe you've jumped onto this podcast because you've deconstructed. Maybe you jumped onto it because a friend of yours uh, is trying to tell you about Jesus and they thought this would help you uh, have an open mind. Maybe you're a Christian, you're listening to this. Um, I, I would encourage you to, again, Go dive into the story. Go look at Jesus, um, and and just in in so doing, um, you might find some unique goodness there, some unique beauty there that might surprise you. Yeah, well said. Any final words? Well, I just, I just to turn toward the practical. I think for you listening, whoever's listening to this, I think a good exercise, and I should do it more often, is to kind of do what we're doing here for your own places, whether it's Portland, Fayetteville, 
uh, or somewhere else, but even maybe specifically into the more like micro small scale communities that you're a part of, like ask the question, how is this group of people that God loves that are image bearers, but regardless, how are they exerting a force on me subtly or, or uh, not so subtly that might pull me away from Jesus? And where are the things that they're influencing me towards? Like actually good, actually things that Jesus would say, that's a, that's a good thing. And to just be aware, like half the game, mm-hmm. I feel like we've brought this up in a number of these episodes, is just, just, just having the awareness to ask that question, to look for it, to name it, and then you can, um, then you can do something with it. You can try to counterform yourself by the by the power of the Spirit mm-hmm. and by uh, your pursuit of Jesus. You can you can make a plan to to fight, to stand firm, but also to give your energy to the things that are good and that are are going to contribute to the good of your neighbors in a way that Jesus would affirm. So um, I think it's just good to take stock of these kinds of things. Yeah, not a biblical question, a personal one today, yeah. um, but definitely a modern one as we try to kind of put some bigger picture pieces on why we do out of curiosity and uh, why we did this season at least with uh, two different people in two different contexts here, at least within our country. So again, we'll take a few months off. If you've got questions, issues, thoughts, things you want us to discuss, send it our way. We know there's some big questions that uh, have gone unanswered or unresponded to and out of curiosity. So you got those, let us know. And uh, we've had a good time this season. And so thanks for joining us as always. And thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Out of Curiosity. If you found it helpful, please consider leaving us a review and sharing it with a friend. To suggest a topic, reach out to us on Instagram at OO Curiosity. We'll see you next time.